Shalacia Harris, your host of Buzzworthy. I'm going to be sitting down with our unique guests, entrepreneurs, and passionate people to help tell their stories about problems they're solving and their unique solutions. So Colin, um, thanks for meeting me here today and chatting about Enderly, your company that you've started. And before we jump into what Enderly is, tell us a little bit more about you and what sets you up to become an entrepreneur. Yeah, um, so I think uh, looking back, I was probably predestined to uh, run some type of shop of my own uh, through my whole life. Uh, Growing up, my parents uh, dabbled in many various businesses, whether it was restaurants, um, career companies, uh, freelance accounting, uh, house flipping in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, which was, I think, the national pastime of that era. Um, They kind of did it all. So uh, growing up, that was uh, what was normal. Uh, That was work to us was was that kind of thing. It wasn't so much watching uh, a nine to five and uh, my boss said this, my boss said that. It's more uh, my clients this and and the sort of all-encompassing aspects of of entrepreneurship. So um, I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, that was laying the foundation for, for how I would approach work. Uh, and, you know, generating income for myself and, and, uh, and that kind of thing moving forward. That's amazing. And I think a lot of people um, are exposed to entrepreneurship in a lot of different capacities, but your parents really touched a gamut of almost everything from the restaurant business, um, flipping houses, but the same principles sort of carried through. What do you think you really learned from them in watching them be entrepreneurs? Overall, the biggest thing is you have to own the whole, the whole thing. Um, so you're, you're trying to tackle a problem. Um, nobody's really sort of cut it up for you. Nobody said, look, you've got to work on this part of it. Um, you, you want to make a, you want to make money. You want to, you know, open a bar. Um, okay. How do you do that? We have to think through the whole problem. Okay. Where are we going to put the bar? What are we going to stock it? Who do we want to come to the bar? Are we going to have, uh, machines, arcade machines there, like everything uh, from start to finish. And, uh, and, and to me, uh, what I love about that is, is it's very exciting and you get to control the whole thing. Um, it's also a lot of work, um, but, it, but it really teaches you to look at something uh, totally holistically. Um, whereas, you know, if, if you work for, say, a larger corporation, um, you're, you know, you're usually a little bit more specialized uh, in the sense that I tackle this one very specific part of a problem rather than looking at the whole problem. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting way to look at things, because when you compare it to corporate, like you said, you're sort of siloed in this very direct way of looking at things versus looking at the big picture and really getting to curate that image yourself. And that, I think, leads us into, you know, what was that whole problem that you identified as an entrepreneur yourself? Uh, for the business that I'm running now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is an established uh, industry. Uh, we are essentially a, a service uh, business. Um, we do IT service for law firms and other similar professional services firms. Um, so this wasn't so much, uh, you know, a disruption or a revolution as uh, let's do X, Y, Z, but better do it our own way. 
um, kind of an incremental thing. So it's an industry I had been working in for, for 10 years and um, I had been a partner in another firm and uh, talked to a lot of other firm owners and, and clients and sort of been around the block and see how things were done um, and just had my own spin on it. Um, specifically uh, sort of taking ownership of more of our clients' IT setup and their problems, making ourselves a bit more of a one-stop shop um, and a bit more of what uh, people would expect to see from, say, a, a corporate IT department uh, instead of, instead of a uh, consultant. So um, think about uh, if you were building a house, more of like a, a general contractor and it's the one person you talk to versus if you were building a house and, you know, you've got to deal with the flooring person and, and the drywall person and all that separately. We want it to be that one point of contact and that one thing where it's one bill, one, you know, as we like to say, throat to choke. Um, so that was just the evolution of the services that were already ongoing. Um, our superpower is definitely uh, communication um, and being very clear with our clients about what's happening. And uh, we, we like to think our clients understand IT more uh, than, than most, um, not because uh, we're, we're sending them to classes, but just because we're, we're pretty good at the Star Trek analogies and sort of trying to translate things into plain English for them. But uh, yeah. So in that 10 years of, you know, gathering experience working for and working with another company and as a partner, what was a recurring theme that you experienced from the customer standpoint or within the industry that said, we could do this better? Uh, managing expectations, uh, 100%. Uh, IT is uh, a very complicated and essentially unlimited scope of work. Uh, for for most of our clients, um, and uh, and you know they're they're relying on you to be an expert for something. They're not an expert in in the subject matter, um, and unfortunately, uh, as as most people know, IT people generally are not the best communicators. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, IT people sort of expect their clients to know a lot more than they do. Um, so really, there's always a gap in managing expectations, whether that be look, this is how a system's supposed to work. Um, this is how, you know, it's supposed to work when you contact us for help, um, or even, you know, just communicating while you're helping somebody saying, look, this is going to take about 60 minutes. This is what we're going to do right now. This is what you can expect over the next couple hours as we work on it. Uh, instead of just, you know, uh, get out of my way. Let me sit at your computer and fix it. And I'm not going to talk to you till it's done and give you a bunch of attitude and, and that kind of thing. So, um, just really crystal clear communication is, is something that I see almost every IT firm struggle with. Um, so it's something that's just absolutely one of our top focuses, uh, you know, on our customer support side. It's just, again, being super crystal clear and, and taking the time to say, look, this is what's happening and this is what you can expect over the next X amount of hours or whatever as we work on a problem. I think that's so important in terms of, you know, what you said was managing expectations. That's the first thing you said um, when it comes to how do you, like, what was that gap you identified? And it's true when you look at a lot of any services that exist out there, when you're looking to be successful, you really have to listen to the voice of the customer. And a lot of companies talk about understanding that voice of the customer, truly listening to them. But how do you take that and put that into practice where someone new that's 
you know, exploring and looking for a firm like yours to take on their IT services, how do you do that? And what makes them comfortable in that experience and truly trusting you to set those right expectations? So it's, it's definitely unique to, to each uh, prospective client. Um, people are very, and, and rightly so, very slow to change IT providers. It's a massive undertaking, uh, you know, especially for a law firm where you're looking at, look, I'm switching and I know this is going to cost me 200 billable hours and somebody's going to have to spend time on it. So um, there's usually a reason why. Uh, why they're looking. And, and it's about first and foremost, identifying what that reason is. Um, what is the sort of incident um, that's that sort of pushed you into this conversation? Um, so that's the sort of first tactical thing that we look at. But on, on a more general, broad basis, it's um, we generally, I'll just, I'll just sit down and say, walk me through your day. Uh, walk me through the points in that day where you would be interacting with us. Um, so when you have a problem, how are you used to reaching out for help? what you know what works for you what kind of help do you want to get um how do you want it to be delivered you know there's various ways we can fix things and you know we can go there we can do it remotely we can do it in the background it's all sorts of different approaches to it so it's about uh, engaging with a client and, and finding out you know what do they have now is it working um discussing you know this is kind of how we do it will that work for you and uh, I find a lot of the time that I'm having that conversation with potential clients, um, I've gotten feedback where they say, you know what, you're the first person that's ever had this conversation with me, um, where it said, wow, like nobody's ever asked us, you know, what we expect when we call you, um, which to me, I, I think is, is really funny because, you know, 70% of the work we do is like super high tech, hood on, hacker man, whatever. But the 30% that's customer facing is like 99% of what's responsible for our client satisfaction. Um, so that's how you keep clients is by keeping them happy and delivering just absolutely awesome service when they have to interact with you. Um, so again, because most tech companies are run by tech people and I'm unfortunately no exception to that. I'm a tech by training and have been learning the business and communication as I've gone. Um, they're so focused on the tech and so focused on just the end result that the experience really falls by the wayside. Um, so again, you know, we, we focus on just what's the experience and we walk you through again, uh, a lot of the time when, when somebody opens uh, what we call a ticket with us and they have a problem, um, we'll often come back and say, okay, this type of thing usually takes 90 minutes to resolve. Can you set aside 90 minutes in your calendar? You know, this is what it's going to look like, whatever. Um, these are people that have been working for 20 years and they've never received a response like that before. So it's, uh, that's kind of our, our fresh approach to that. Yeah. And when you started your business, um, when you started Enderly, what was what was your scope of your offering when you first started? Because I'm did you start alone? Did you have a team you started with? Take us through that a little bit. So I did start alone. Um, I, I had the technical chops to do so. Um, so I, I did start alone and uh, but I, I built it with a team in mind and we, we do have a small team now of three people. Um, I would say one of the biggest adjustments actually that, that I've made sort of in my vision for the business over the five years that it's been operating is actually um, not wanting to grow as large as I initially thought I would, um, which we can touch on later. But um, yeah, it was, it was definitely built to, to scale to a certain degree uh, right from the start. So uh, one of the things when, when people start these types of businesses is they can very quickly get caught into a trap of, uh, you know, the clients love them personally um, and they deliver great service and that's usually through just overwhelming technical competence um, so they might not even be great communicators but look they know that the client like i got the guy's cell phone i'll call him 
him or her, unfortunately, it's completely male dominated, but um, I'll call them and, uh, you know, I know, I know they'll get it sorted out and whatever. That doesn't scale. You can't take a vacation. You can't be sick. You can't do anything. You've got to be available 24-7 in order to do that. And, and, and so that's, in my experience, where a lot of these businesses, they just, they fail or they get very stuck. You know, they try to hire and, uh, and it doesn't work. They can't, get, they can't get the clients to work with their new hire. The new hire cannot deliver the level of service the clients are used to. They end up firing the new hire, blaming the new hire. It doesn't work out well. Um, and, and the business owners often get just sort of trapped in the business. Um, so from, from the very beginning, when we built Enderly, one of the first things we built was a style guide and an engagement guide. And this was a written document that said, when somebody opens a ticket, what's that customer experience going to look like? Um, and this wasn't our first time doing it. Um, we have, uh, my wife and I ran a, um, uh, a pet care services business in Toronto uh, prior to this that she worked at full time and, and I was kind of a more silent partner in. Um, so we, we'd had real world experience building these customer service journeys. Um, and there was a ton of overlap, believe it or not, between a dog walking company and an IT company. Uh, I've got a blog post about it. And I think it's one of our best performing ones is what does dog walking and IT have in common? Um, but, but really, when you think about it at the end of the day, it's, it's you look at where is your customer engaging with you? Um, what do they need when they're engaging with you? What state of mind are they in when they're engaging with you? And, and addressing that and making sure that you're communicating uh, as much information as they need as succinctly as possible right away and then, and then moving from there. So again, from the very beginning, we built this. We've got these style guides that are these sort of Bibles as to how we engage with people. And uh, that drives you know, our automated responses, how we address everything. And uh, it's made it very easy to onboard new technical experts into Enderly uh, because people come on and they think they're going to get trained on like how the servers work and, and what we use. And the first two weeks is just, no, this is how you write this email. Um, this is how you talk to people and stuff like that. It's, it's almost an English class or a communications class at the beginning. And, and then we'll get into the technical stuff. So um, I don't think there's a lot of companies that approach it that way. So it's one thing we do that's a little bit unique, but uh, I found it's worked really well. And uh, we have unbelievable clients, client loyalty. Um, so I think the proof has been in the pudding so far. That's incredible. And I love the style guide idea. And going back to the style guide, I love your onboarding process of your new employees. And I think that is such an interesting way to do it because I've personally never seen it done that way or heard of it being done that way because it's almost an introductory to the culture of what you do because you're hiring someone with the talent to do the things you know that they will be able to do um, in their job, but really getting them integrated into how the business functions as a culture and what's important to you fundamentally, those things do come out very clearly in email, how you interact with yourselves within and how you interact with those um, exterior to your organization. And it goes back to managing expectations um, and that sort of managing those expectations internally. And then obviously that's translating to those external expectations as well. And I think that's a very unique way to approach it. And I think other companies should really consider that because the way you communicate and the way you interact with people, that's that experience that whether an employee has to live with on a day-to-day -day basis, because that's where they spend most of their time. And then that's your 
primary, not primary value, but a huge portion of your value proposition to your customer as well. Super unique, and I and I really like it. There's uh, an analogy that uh, I love to use. There's uh, an old episode of The Simpsons where they're on a city bus and there's a sign and it's got the rules on it and, and they go up to cross the line and talk to the bus driver and he points to the sign and taps on the sign. No, no crossing the line. And next one, no, you can't talk to the bus driver, points to the sign, taps on the sign. And um, I, we, lo we love to use that analogy where you have to write the sign for your business. And, and this works two ways. It's not just for how you service your clients. It's also for how you hold boundaries with your clients and, and what you're going to do with them and, and how to say no to them sometimes and, and how to keep yourself safe and, and protect your staff when, when you might be dealing with frustrated people and stuff like that. Um, and, and I say it all the time. I'm like, point to the sign. You know, we've written it down. Um, this is what we do. This is how we do it. And when you need that sign, when you need it, you, you have to have already written it because you're under stress and, and you're in the moment. So we just love that. Oh, well, what, I don't know what to do in this moment. Well, point to the sign. What, what did we say when we were calm that we would do about this? And we tap on the sign and go, okay, this is what, you know, this is what we're going to do right now. Um, so I just, I just love that analogy. And your signs, they must be based on principle versus actual rules, because then it's left up to interpretation and can, you know, spread across quite a few different scenarios as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, some of it is actually hyper specific. Um, mm -hmm. Some of it is, you know, if you've got a problem of X nature, this is the time that it will take to respond. Um, and yeah, some of it is more of a broad nature of, you know, this is uh, the style of communication that we do. This is style of communication we'll accept and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, sometimes it can be shockingly specific. The sign, it can be literally, this is the line and you have to stay behind it. It can be that <laughs> specific, yeah. Um, Which you know, for setting us, boundaries is so important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that sort of deviated a little bit, but I thought it was sorry. really interesting. Um, no, 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 don't be sorry at all. I, I thought it was really interesting way to approach how you integrate people into your company and how that translates to the ultimate value and the way you, you set out to differentiate yourself from competitors within such a you know, such a mature industry, even though it's constantly growing. When you started Enderly, obviously, you know, tech support is quite vast from simply rebooting your computer to getting, you know, a software downloaded to, you know, lots of other very specific, more technical aspects. How did you determine what section of tech support you were going to target yourself? So it was actually mostly based on, on what I liked to do, uh, basically, in a nutshell, because if you're going to start your own business, you start hopefully doing something that you like. Um, if, if you don't like it, don't, don't start it, would be my piece of advice. Um, so, you know, the niche that, that I always really enjoyed um, would be what in the industry most people would say more as, as hosting, uh, which would be uh, running servers for people, basically. So... I looked at a, a very wide client base of, of people I'd worked at with over a decade and said, you know, what types of firms have these specific needs that dovetail with the work that I most like to do? And, and uh, actually, it, was, it took about eight months after we launched to really properly define this. Um, we ended up pivoting and, and changing some stuff in the beginning uh, to the point where we actually even got a global mail coverage over it because we made a, a pivot. Um, but uh, what we ended up landing on was... Um, 
law firms and, and accounting firms and sort of very specific firms that, that have a suite of technologies they work with um, that, that have these technical limitations to them. And uh, they're, they're really not like for the most part for the longest time, it meant you had to go into the office to work. And uh, which is obviously in the last two years has been impossible, but even, you know, in 2017, 2018, it was like, come on, there's gotta be a better way. Um, so we just kind of took that and, and packaged it up and we didn't, you know, necessarily invent anything, but we, we brought together a lot of pieces and, and made a ready-made platform for these types of firms. And we said, look, we can take the stuff you've got, put it all on this cloud platform, give you all the IT support around it, and, and essentially change how you're paying for your IT. Um, you're not buying things up front. So you're going to that sort of cloud software as a service monthly subscription model, um, making you fully remote, taking a lot of the gray area out of the IT. So, you know, you don't have a server in your office that, that I can come back to and say, well, you didn't buy the right stuff for that. No, it's 100% it's our responsibility now. Uh, if it goes down, we fix it. We make sure the data doesn't get lost. You know, there's no, no, no questions, no missed expectations on it. Um, so we, we put that all together. And, uh, and that's kind of how we, we came and said, look, this is the niche we're going to market to. Um, now, I see a lot of IT firms, they, they try to be everything to everybody. It's tough. I, I wouldn't want to do it. Even if I had 50 employees, it, it just seems like far too much of a headache. I, uh, I don't know that a service business of this it can scale infinitely. So I think you're much better off having a niche going after it, even somewhat geographically having a niche um, and sticking with it. That is so important in any business, because like you said, no matter how many employees you have, you can't be everything to everyone. And as cliche as some of these things are uh, that we hear all the time, it's in practice, it's it's very, very practical. And it allows you that ability to really own the space that you're in, be incredibly good at it and really demonstrate that value, that value that you can provide to your customer. I think as well, just to dovetail back to what we were talking about with the, the communication, um, that communication style we found lends itself very well to uh, people like lawyers who are working extremely high pressure jobs and, and lost time is a tremendous expense to them, um, you know, can be known as being impatient uh, sometimes. And, and uh, you know, so having absolutely crystal clear communication um, lends itself so well uh, to working with people in those situations. Um, you know, it's, if somebody's being upset with you, it's, it's not usually because they're a bad person. It's usually because their expectations are, what's happening is not matching their expectations. So if you've got good communication and, and you are clearly an expert in what you're doing, then somebody that is in a high pressure situation, look, lawyers are very smart people. So if you tell them something that's correct, they will understand it. Uh, if you just hand wave and say, I'm going to look at it and you know, get out of the way, like the SNL sketch, ah, stand up and you're going to fix it. They're not going to like that. And nobody's going to like that. But, but somebody that's working in a very high pressure situation is obviously more likely to say something about it. So mm -hmm. the clear communication as well just was allowed us to work with that. And, and uh, we work with industries that you know, a lot of IT companies, oh, I don't want to work with people that consume me. And I'm like, well, if you do your job, then it's not an issue. So um, communicate do it right. And, uh, and we found that, yeah, that we can work with, we can work with these people that work in high pressure situations all the time. Fantastic. And when you, 
Before you defined this niche, um, you said you kind of got there about eight months into your business. Who were you servicing before? Uh, not really very many people. <laughs> it wasn't going very well. Um, so uh, uh, law firms make up probably about 60% of our, 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 our business, 80% um, of our, our tech support business. Um, but yeah, before that, we, we were trying to engage with more architecture, um, creative firms, things like that. Um, and what, what, what I found was um, we deliver a pretty high expertise, pretty high value uh, services, and uh, which means, you know, we, we solve problems pretty quickly. Um, I know it's a very unsubstantiated thing to say. Everybody says they do, but we really do. We, we put things to bed very quickly when they happen, and we, we prevent problems from happening. And again, that's a pretty unsubstantiated claim, but, but the data I have is that, you know, we really do reduce support issues by about 50% versus most IT setups. Um, and, and what I found was, you know, firms that, uh, a lot of firms that sounds great to them, but the value isn't there. Um, you, they, to them paying half as much, but things taking two or three times as long to solve was perfectly palatable. Um, so it was really a, a product market fit issue where the price point that I wanted to get to and the service level that I wanted to deliver just wasn't people just didn't need it in a lot of other industries. So that also brought us back to the high pressure, high stress, high value uh, professional services people um, that, you know, okay, I'll pay a little extra because if you can save me 30 billable minutes a month, I've just doubled that. Um, so again, that everything's just sort of pushed us into, into that. And, and I just was able to sort of read the tea leaves and say, yeah, this is, this is where we need to go. Um, and we did have a couple law firms in, in our portfolio and uh, we just found that it worked really, really well. And, and we had uh, some firms that had come to us that had come to us under the auspice of the, the current provider couldn't get along with that. Basically there, mm. uh, you're not gonna be able to meet their demands and they've been great clients. Like we get along great and, and they've just been awesome. So they said, well, what are we doing that other people aren't doing that, that we're getting along with them and hey, we can do this. And, and so we said, Let, let's go for it. And we'll just target that kind of thing. That, that really is, I think, an important journey that a lot of entrepreneurs actually have to go on. And a lot of people don't see that journey. You go through that really sort of messy middle before you really find yourself and you have to be really conscious of how you choose to think about the problem that you're solving who does this benefit most and who do you want to be and I think that's a question we ask ourselves personally and you ask little kids you know who do you want to be when you grow up you know what does your business want to be and who does it and what do they want to be to this particular group of people so that's a that's a really great story I think for anyone to know that you don't have to figure it out at the beginning. Once you start, there's always that learning you go through and you understand what's working well, what's not working well, then how can we focus? And throughout your journey so far, and I know it's been five years, which is a long time because most businesses fail within, you know, that five-year period. So congrats. Um, what were some of the bigger challenges that you've experienced within this time? Um, a lot of the challenges have actually been more personal. 
Um, so learning to manage my time, uh, my mental health, and, and as it relates to burnout with the business, um, that's been some of the biggest lessons that I've learned. Uh, since I've launched the business, I've gotten married, uh, bought a house, moved to Hamilton, had a kid, uh, kind of done all that life stuff as well. So um, we've grown up a lot um, in, in five years since, since, since we launched it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's about, you know, when you've got a small business, it's got to work for you and, and, and make sure that you're not just working for it and, and understand that this is, you know, it's, it's a, a tool or an entity that exists uh, somewhere between your needs and your staff's needs and your clients or customers needs. And you have to balance all three of those. And if that balance gets lost, you're going to have a problem. So um, you know, early on, um, spending far too much time uh, on the business, um, whether that's just changing things or research or just not being happy with how it was, getting to the point of burnout, um, driving myself to the point of, of depression and, and needing to address that um, were all really big challenges that I had um, and, and coming out of that, you know, much stronger in the end. But uh, yeah, no, I don't have any, you know, juicy business specific stuff, but I think this is, you know, it's not talked about enough in, in the entrepreneur uh, circles. Everybody likes to go around and pretend it's all roses and everything's okay. And we can just hustle our way through it, but you can't. Hustle uh, you can't, culture. You, you can't yeah. do it for five years. Um, you could do it for like a year, but don't do it. Don't do it for five. <laughs> you gotta, yeah. you gotta take care of yourself. So, um, and just, you know, make sure that you're constantly evaluating, like, what's a win? Um, find your wins as you go. Um, what was your win this week? You know, did, did, even if it was just like, hey, I found a new product that's going to make our service 5% better or whatever. It's a win. You know, you, you did something. It was a win. It was work. Um, but constantly be looking, okay, in a year, what would I define success as? And that's going to change as you go. When I was 25 years old uh, and, and I made partner in the IT firm I was in, I was like, I want us all to drive Aston Martins. I want to be making $450,000 a year by the time I'm 30 years old. I don't care if I have to work 100 hours a week, blah, 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 blah. My definition of success could not be further from that now. My definition of success is how much free time do I have? Um, and by free time, I don't mean like sitting on a beach. I just mean having domain over my time. So um, do I get to choose who, what, where, and when I'm doing it? Um, that can be within the context of working on my business or another business that I'm working on or whatever. But uh, you'll, you'll see that nowhere in that is, is money. Um, there's, no, there's no, you know, car model or size of house or anything like that. It's, it's much more about, uh, you know, the psychic concept of time and, and agency and things like that. So um, really make sure you're checking in with yourself constantly um, because your, your, your priorities should change, will change, and especially as your life changes. If you're a young entrepreneur, um, life is going to get crazy as, as life goes on. Um, even though you've got a business, it, it goes on and, and other things are going to happen. I hope at least don't, don't let your business run your life. Um, so just be flexible to that. And, and, you know, if, if you, if you thought you needed 10 staff and a million dollars a year or whatever, when you started, it's not failing. If you readjust that, uh, as you go, um, you know, make sure, make sure you're happy and you're taking care of yourself first. That's fantastic. And I love that you brought up um, the challenges weren't necessarily business challenges, but personal challenges. And with us being in sort of this hustle culture and 
you know, if you're not grinding hard enough and you're not going to be successful and everyone sort of measuring success based on your level of burnout, like that's not sustainable at all. And I think that's something really important that I should tell myself a little bit more often. Um, and it's something that we definitely need to be more cognitive about. But what made you really identify those personal challenges that, you know, if you weren't able to get those managed, ultimately your business suffers at the end of the day. What, what helped you identify that challenge and what did you do about it exactly? Uh, I hit the wall. <laughs> I hit the wall about two years in. Um, I, I almost just gave up and almost just gave the business away. Um, it came, came to a head uh, with, with my personal life and um, really just had that sort of come to Jesus moment where it was like, is this worth, you know, my marriage and, and my life and my happiness and that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, when you're looking at going, if I continue doing this for six months, something else is going to give. Um, so, you know, you, you, when you're an entrepreneur, you, you don't want to get, you know, the Sunday scaries and be dreading going to work on Monday and stuff like that. You know, you're going to get it a little bit, but kind of defeats the purpose of going through all the stress if you're not happy doing going to work and that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, I did that twice uh, before I really learned to look, look for the signs of it. Um, now, now what I've learned is it's definitely, um, I've got some personal uh, things that I'll start doing when I'm going down that road. And actually recently, I just, I just went through it a couple of weeks ago. So, so this year, um, on a whim, we, uh, my family and I actually moved down to Mexico and worked remotely for two months. And part of that was me being able to actually take a huge step back from the business for the first time and kind of let it run on its own. And I just got out of the way and, uh, it went fantastically. I should have, I should have just stayed out of the way. It's just, it went great. <laughs> um, and, uh, when I came back, um, within two weeks, uh, I was like, it's five hours a week again. And uh, right back in it and, uh, you know, not delivering a ton of value to anybody, I don't think. Um, and what I, I was able to identify this time, I just said, I, I, I'm like, I want to go back to Mexico. It's like, well, it's not about Mexico. It's about me. So what, what, what is, what's happening with me? What's, what's going on? And, and uh, I, I, so I sat down, actually wrote down a couple things that I'm like, when I'm doing this is when, you know, the bus is starting to drift out of its lane. I, when is this going to go off the rails? And for me personally, it's, okay, I start signing up for trials of, you know, software to change how we do things. I'm, I'm testing out new stuff. So make work projects, you know, everything works fine. I don't need the next tool. I don't need, you know, it's always good to know what's out there, but to a, to a, to a, to a limit, you know, you don't need to constantly be updating and constantly changing. Uh, or, you know, if you're in the code development business, you don't need to be refactoring all the time. If you've got code that works, probably just leave it. You don't need to change languages. You don't need to change frameworks just stop, just if it works, just leave it, you know, that kind of thing. So that, I realized that was my number one indicator is if I'm seeing, uh, you know, your, your trial sign up in my inbox, hit the brakes, just walk away, stop. It means, hey, I've got far too much free time. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. need to be spending it doing this kind of stuff. Um, so obviously this probably won't apply to anybody else, but, but you've, you're gonna have a tick. You're gonna find what it is that you're going to. Um, the other thing that, that I personally do is uh, when, when I am working too much, I start to get way too much on like the online forums. So way too much time on Hacker News, way too much time on Reddit. Uh, my thumbs, you know, getting muscly because I'm scrolling through too much. Um, 
So as soon as I find myself doing that when I'm on the third page of like the Reddit MSB subreddit or when I'm seeing the same stuff on Hacker News again, I'm going, okay, there's my warning sign. I'm running a treadmill. It's a dopamine treadmill and I, I'm calling it work, but it's not, it's time to stop. Just, just let it be. So, yeah. And it's good to help like identify that um, for yourself, because then, like you said, you can get off that treadmill a lot faster. So with going through this entrepreneurial journey so far, um, we've talked about some of your challenges, but what were some of the things that you were most happy and most proud of as you went through this journey, kind of seeing yourself um, grow up with entrepreneurs and seeing your parents' success and how they've gone through things? And now looking back on yourself, how do you compare those two and what what do you find successful out of what you've done so far? Yeah, um, my this business has been around for five years. Um, it's uh, completely self-sustaining. Um, to me, that's an absolutely huge win um, to, to build something and have it actually work for this long, um, to set out to a goal of certain, you know, very boring metrics of, of downtime and all sorts of stuff that'll put you to sleep, but to actually hit those. Uh, after after a certain period of time um, is tremendously rewarding. Um, I will say, growing up, um, you know, we didn't open the restaurant and and then flip out and leave it open when we flipped houses. It was open the restaurant, close the restaurant, flip the house, stop flipping houses. It wasn't always it wasn't a treadmill of success. Um, it was it was a, a lot of lessons learned. Um, so to to be able to come and, and say, look, we've been successful. Um, you know, this is, this is paying for my family, um, is, is, is tremendously rewarding. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what's next for Enderly? Uh, so a lot of very boring IT stuff. Um, we, <laughs> we are, uh, very much getting into the, uh, the security world. Uh, we, I mean, we've been in it, um, IT security, it's, um, the needs are absolutely exploding right now. Uh, cybersecurity attacks are just insane at the moment. Uh, cybersecurity insurance rates are quadrupling, if not going tenfold, uh, for a lot of firms. Um, we are we've completely, you know, our hundred percent of our focus in 2022 is is towards cybersecurity. Um, to that end, we'll actually be branching out. We've we for the entire existence of our business offered one plan one way of doing things, um, obviously to customize your business, but sort of one level of service. Uh, for the first time in five years, we're actually gonna branch out to a second level. Um, so we're, we're getting to the point where we're, we're maximizing the amount of cybersecurity we can do for our firms at a certain price point. Um, traditionally, we've folded things in at kind of no cost to our clients and, and uh, we've, we've reached the maximum of it. Uh, so we will be you know, rolling out some additional plans and some cybersecurity only uh, packages that we'll have available to two law firms in Ontario. Um, so that's a big change for us. Um, probably not a big deal to anybody else, but, but for me, it was always, we wanted to be very simple. We didn't want you to have to think about it. Um, you know, we just wanted it to be there and to, you know, to, to call back to expectations management. Um, we didn't want to have the conversations where you had an opportunity to say no to something that you thought you really needed. We just included it. Um, so unfortunately now, because of the, uh, how many threats there are and, and, and the costs associated with securing things to different levels, uh, we are going to have an add-on for that. So uh, we're going to kind of call it the 80-20 rule. You'll get 80% of it on the base package if you want the last 20%. 
you know, that's, that's what's going to come next. That's but, the uh, security aspect of yeah, it. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what, what do you think is driving this security needs and what made you want to take it on for the next step for Enderly? Obviously the problem is real, but specifically we know you've been choiceful about what you're doing for your clients. Um, what makes this even more important and extra valuable for, for your clients? Yeah, so it's a very logical extension of the expertise that we hold. Um, so when you are hosting services for people, security is, is the number one thing, you know, it's, it's living on our servers. So we got to make sure that it stays on our servers and doesn't leak out and that kind of thing. Um, so a lot of it is just being more explicit about it, documenting it more, communicating with our clients more about it. Um, and, and, and the need is just, as you said, it's growing uh, from a very selfish perspective. Um, things like hosting and, and even tech support, unfortunately, are becoming very commodified. Uh, it's an unregulated industry. Anybody could come on this podcast and say they do what we do. Um, and you can't prove it until you start working with somebody. You know, you can ask for references and that's about it. And we've got a tremendous amount of great references. But, uh, you know, there's, there's no regulatory body and there's no way to say, you know, there's a difference between company A and company B. Um, so unfortunately, for if you're, all you're doing is IT support, telling you to reboot your computer and setting up your outlook and that kind of stuff, uh, there's a tremendous amount of downwards price pressure on those services um and it's just that's not uh, a game that i want to engage with we're not we're not a volume business i am not interested in offshoring our tech support um there's lots of other companies that do that um it's just not something that i personally want to do um so we want to go up and and bigger and better uh part of that as well is is creating opportunities for our staff um you know these are uh, i want opportunities for growth for myself and, and for the people that work for Enderly. So, uh, you know, getting certified in cybersecurity, um, building these new packages, it's, it's a learning opportunity for everybody. Um, if you're not learning in cybersecurity, then you're not doing cybersecurity because it changes every day. Um, so it's a tremendous growth opportunity for everybody. Um, so yeah, we, we like to go up and, and, you know, better, not necessarily more, I think is, is what I like. And, and so that fits well with it. And, and again, obviously the huge need for it. So, uh, that's yeah. only increasing more and more. So that's super exciting um, to know that you're taking things at your own pace. You're still being choiceful about what you offer your customers, but ensuring that the value is there and you have the support and the expertise in order to take it in, the, in that direction. And it's not just about you. And I think that's really interesting as we sort of have this conversation that I notice you always have your staff top of mind as well, um, your customers top of mind. And as an entrepreneur, you're definitely wearing so many different hats and you have to think about so many people. And I think, I think it's really impressive the way you sort of bring that across in everything you do and really taking that holistic approach. Thank you. Yeah. Amazing. So what brought you back to Hamilton? Because we knew you grew up here. At least I knew that. I don't know if we told our listeners that as yet, um, yes. but you grew up in Hamilton. What brought you back to the city? Oh, the, the housing market, 100%. It was uh, uh, it did a little bit more than that. Um, I, I, my family is here. Um, tremendous support structure here. My 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 partner's uh, family is dispersed uh, around Hamilton more than Toronto. Um, it was a logical move. Uh, COVID. It was kind of a COVID hit. 
Um, we were saying, oh, we're going to be inside, I think, for a very long time um, when, when this happened. And maybe we should try to buy a house. I don't know, like that kind of thing. We were renting an apartment in Toronto. Um, and we just got very lucky and, and just made one bid on one house right at the beginning of COVID and, and got it um, and, and came back. And, um, you know, we, we'd always sort of, my, my wife jokes when, when she met me, she said, oh, I'm going to move to Hamilton with this guy. He's from there. And that's what everybody from Toronto does uh, is move to Hamilton. So obviously we're going to do that. And I think in my mind, I'd always said, yeah, 50, 50, you know, I, I kind of like the idea of maybe, maybe having a family in Toronto, but I I've always loved Hamilton and uh, I've spent a ton of time here, no matter what, even when I was living out there. So it's like 50, 50. And then uh, the, the, obviously the ongoing housing factors and, and that sort of thing um, contributed to it. But uh, I had in my plans had always been to open an office here regardless. Um, I, I always wanted to be, you know, spread, spread our roots a little bit larger, um, bring uh, sort of higher education and tech support kind of jobs to the city as much as possible. Um, so it was always, it was always in the back of my head. So a bunch of, bunch of timing came together and, and we just did it. Um, and here we are. And uh, I, I never thought I would regret the choice, but uh, I didn't think I would uh, be so happy with the choice as, as I was when we came back. I really, uh, 20 years is uh makes a big change to a city and, and wow, it's just incredible. The energy here, um, you know, lots of people are, are here and there's still space to try interesting things uh, in Hamilton. I feel like unfortunately Toronto's lost a lot of that, with the rents and the pressure and, and that kind of thing. So um, it's just great. I just love living here. I, I live in Strathcona so I can you know walk to James North and, and walk to our clients and that kind of stuff. It's, it's just great. Um, yeah. So much going on. That's amazing. Well, welcome back to the city. Thank you. Um, and we're we're really excited because one of the reasons we started this podcast is because we knew a lot of people were coming into the city and there was already lots of innovation um, within Hamilton. And Hamilton has a very community feel for still such a big city. So we wanted to tell entrepreneurial stories and understand why people found it interesting to come here and know that there are opportunities there, you know, things that allow you to take that additional risk in becoming an entrepreneur. Um, so that's, that's exciting to have you back here. And um, hopefully you are able to sort of open a tech support center and get some of, you know, some real great talent that we have here in Hamilton and, yeah. and start growing that side of your business. And I just have to say to the business community, I mean, we've only engaged, I think for the last two months, really, we've kind of been in the bunker with COVID, but uh, it's like night and day <laughs> from my experience in Toronto. And we, when we launched in Toronto, I was in, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but I think it was Spaces on Clean West. It's like a, a co-working space, a kind of a high-end co-working space. And, and the people were great, but uh, you'd meet people and they'd all be sort of posturing and pretending they were very successful. And this is what I do and this is what I, you know, whatever, and trade cards, but no offer to help anybody or anything like that. And uh, you know, my first chamber of commerce meeting, we, we met um, and uh, everybody's asking each other just immediately, well, how can I help you? Can I introduce you to anybody? Things like that, the, just the, uh, the sort of we're all in it together spirit uh, is just incredible. Um, it's just a totally, totally great energy in, in this city. And uh, you know, I'm so excited to be part of it now in the business community. 
Yeah, amazing. Well, I can't wait to meet you again officially um, at our event coming up on June 24th, which is going to be a networking event that sort of celebrates, you know, this podcast and what we've done um, so far in meeting entrepreneurs and also get an opportunity for people in the city to meet you who've listened to your stories, get to learn more about you and network and make new connections within the city. Great. Amazing. Well, thanks so much, Colin. Um, I appreciate you taking the time with us and telling us about your journey with Inderly and wishing you all the future successes, which we know will absolutely come true. Thank you. You too. All righty. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye. A huge thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in every week to hear about our buzzworthy businesses. Don't forget to rate us on whatever platform you're listening and following us at, at Hamilton Hive on all of the social media platforms. But most importantly, we want to thank our team of dedicated volunteers who make this podcast possible on a weekly basis. So here we go. Cesar Cardenia, Khalid Imam, James Clark, Trisha Ford, Ratri Toon, Kirsch Kumar Patel, Fernando Rodriguez, Yvette R., and yours truly, Shalacia Harris. Don't forget to tune in next Monday for a new episode of Buzzworthy.